And things were so simple. I remember when I was a boy, and I still love to do this even now, but I could get hours of entertainment out of a stick. You could take a stick and you can draw on the sand with it. You can finally beat up your bigger brother with it. But the biggest thing that I love the most is I love to go by the river with a nice stick, and I would take time to find the right size stick, pick up rocks, and just hit them. Pick up a rock, hit it, pick up a rock, hit it. And there was something about it that I absolutely loved. But it's interesting to me that as we get older, as we learn more, as we gain more responsibilities in life, as life changes, life starts throwing complications our way. We have big complications, we have small complications, and we have some complications that change the very course of our lives. We even have complications in our walks with Jesus. We get busy. We don't find the time to read this like we should or pray like we should. We get distracted because of things that consume our thought process. Everything in life tends to get complicated at some time. Now before we read 1 Kings 19, I want to talk about something that Jesus addressed in Matthew 11. See, in Matthew 11, Jesus is talking to the multitudes. He's not talking to a crowd. He's talking to the multitudes. It's not like he was walking down the street and there were a couple of city workers on coffee break and so they couldn't really leave and so they were forced to listen to Jesus. The multitudes. If you could walk from Crest of Butte to Powderhorn to hear what Jesus had to say, you were going to do it. If you could walk from Gunnison to Montrose to hear what Jesus had to say, you were going to do it because it was going to change your life. And Jesus in Matthew 11 starts talking about all these complications and things that come in life that that just make life difficult. And he ends it with Matthew 11.28-30. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble and gentle in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. Now I've got a picture of my son. I'm going to throw it up here real quick. Patrick can. Uh, I was working on my computer the other day, and Hunter was sitting on the coffee table watching TV. And there was lots of noise coming from the living room. And as I'm working on the computer, things got quiet. And I thought, okay, time to go check. And so I poke around the corner, and he went from sitting on the coffee table to sleeping on the coffee table. And I look at that, and I go, man, that is rest right there. That is what Jesus is like inviting us to, that we could like flat lay out on the table and just rest. And I think about how many times I need that in my spiritual walk, where I need that rest. I need that burden lifted from me. I need that thing that gives me sustenance. And so when we look at what Jesus says, that we're supposed to put our burdens on Him, it makes me realize that our complications are not a surprise to Him. Our complications are not a complication to Him. In fact, our complications are something that He wants to carry for us. So we're going to read in 1 Kings 19. But to give a backdrop of what's going on here, this is about Elijah. And in 1 Kings 18... Elijah had just had a phenomenal victory against King Ahab on Mount Carmel. And if you're familiar with King Ahab, you'll know that King Ahab was married to this wonderful woman named Queen Jezebel, who both of them were guilty for for, uh, torturing and killing 
hundreds and thousands of followers of the God of Abraham. They killed him. They tortured him. It was Jezebel's mission to get rid of every follower of of God, the father of Abraham, that she could. And so Ahab has this incredible victory against a sorry, Elijah has this incredible victory against Ahab on Mount Carmel, and he's kind of tired from it. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel what Elijah had done, and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life and those whom you killed. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert. Traveling all day, he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around and saw some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I don't know about you, but I can remember so many times in my life where I felt like Elijah. Tired. Frustrated. Alone. I can remember times where I even felt frustrated in ministry. Where I felt like I was doing absolutely everything right. But things weren't going the right way. And I don't know if you've ever felt like Elijah. Where things weren't happening the way that you thought they should be happening. Or where you were just a little bit weary in your position. But I know I've felt so many times in my life where I needed to see the hand of God in my life. When I was an intern, um, this was in 1998, I was a part-time intern at our church in Grand Junction. And one of the things that we were doing was what's called the Alpha Course. And it was this great, great class where you talked about the simplicities and the basics of Christianity. Who is Jesus? Is the Bible true? What about my life? Things like that. Well, what was really neat is you could invite your friends to this. You'd have a simple little dinner, and then you'd sit in little discussion groups and, and discuss uh, the topic. I had some friends. Uh, one of them, his name was Dave. And Dave invited, invited this guy named Jerry. Now, Jerry had really long hair, like here, and he was bald on top. 
And Jerry was a very hard nut. He was a high-profile banker from New York and was very successful. He was very intelligent. And so Jerry came to about three of these Alpha courses, and the whole time Jerry was there, Jerry had in his mind who God was, and Jerry and God just couldn't meet together in the middle because of Jerry's idea of God. Well, Jerry left after a while. And I didn't know this at the time, but Jerry, um, because of his success as a New York broker, he had made millions. He had a mansion, the sports cars. He lost his family. There was about a 20-year stretch where he never saw his daughter or spoke with her. And I didn't know this, but Jerry had pretty much lost everything. And Jerry was living with my friend Dave. Well, I didn't see Jerry for two years. We were in the middle of a, a building campaign at our church. We'd gone and we'd built this new church building, and we'd moved into it. it was, this was in 2000. And I remember it was our first week in the new building, and I was outside, and I was building cabinets for the new offices, and I'm sitting there, and I'm cutting this board, and it's hot, and I, this shadow casts over me. And I look over, and Jerry's standing there, and he's, he's leaning against the church column. I'm like, Jerry! How are you? What are you doing? And he said, I'm okay. He said, Dave told me I should come and see the church. I'm like, well, Jerry, it's really good to see you. He goes, yeah. So I stood up and we're kind of talking. I said, well, here, let me show you the church. And he goes, I can't. I go, why? He goes, my hip is killing me. I can hardly walk. So I'm like, well, okay. So I kind of, you know, I go over to him and he wasn't joking. He apparently had hobbled his way to this column to talk to me, realized that he didn't want to go in and see the church. So I said, well, here, let me help you to your car. So I put my arm under, or my, get under his arm, and I, I literally help him walk in, through the parking lot to his El Camino, open the door, and he climbs in the El Camino. And I'm just a young guy. I'm not thinking much. And I, just, I was kind of silly, and I went, hey, Jerry, do you, do you mind if I pray for you really quick? And he goes, okay. So I put my hand in the window, and I just put it on his arm, and I said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would heal Jerry's leg so that he would know that you love him. In Jesus' name, amen. And I pull my hand out, and I go to walk away, and he goes, what did you do to me? And I went, I didn't do anything. He goes, step away from the door. So I step away from the door, and he opens it, and he climbs out of the car, and he, he starts doing this. And he's, he, I kind of get nervous because he's big and I'm young. He goes, what did you do to me? I'm like, I didn't do anything, Jerry. I, I think God maybe healed your leg. What did you, what? And he turns and he pins me up against the El Camino. And I'm like, oh, great. What did you do? I said, Jerry, I didn't do anything. I, I think God healed your leg. And he didn't know what to do with that. And so he got in his El Camino and he drove away. Well, Jerry was at church that weekend. And then he was at church that Wednesday service. And he was at church the following weekend. And all of a sudden, Jerry started to come to church all the time. After about a year, Jerry became a very committed part of our church. And I want to pause right there and come back to Jerry here in a minute. But I think about the simplicity of how God met Jerry right there. It started because a friend said, you should come see the church. And it changed the course of this man's entire life. Because one person said one simple thing.
come see the church. I also think about the simplicity of it. It was in a hot parking lot. I was wearing dirty clothes. I was covered in sawdust. He was wearing dirty clothes. It happened in an El Camino. There's a serious simplicity to the course of change in Jerry's life. But it's what God used. It was a whisper that Jerry needed and it was a whisper that I needed. And I think about how often I need God to whisper simplicity into my life. How I need Him to whisper simplicity into my complications. I need God to whisper His simplicity into my marriage. Because let's face it, some, sometimes marriage isn't easy. Right? It's an adventure. Which means it, it's not going to be easy. I need God to whisper into my finances. I don't know about you, but so many times I felt like I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I remember when we were first married and we were literally going through our, our couch to find loose change so that we could pay the bills that month. I remember that. But you need God to whisper into that. You need Him to, to whisper in, into your work situation. How many times I've shaken my head going, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm frustrated with my work situation. I'm frustrated with how things are going. I think about how many times I've needed God to whisper simplicity into my health because things have gone on that literally are scary to you. I think about how many times I've needed God to whisper simplicity into my purpose. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what my purpose is in life. I don't know what your plan is for me. But God, I need to hear something from you about my purpose. I think about how many times I've needed God to whisper simplicity into my church. Into every church that I've ever attended, I've needed God to whisper simplicity into it because you know what? The church is made up of people. We're a body. And things don't go the right way sometimes. And so we need God to whisper that simple bit of grace and love into our body. I think about how many times I've needed God to whisper simplicity into my fears. And I'm one of those people that I worry about stuff. If I can think about it, I'm probably going to worry about it. And it drives me nuts. But at the same time, when I start worrying about it, I realize that that's when I go, God, I need you to whisper your simplicity just like you whispered into Elijah's life into this fear that I have right now. And what I've found is that every time I, I need God to whisper simplicity into my life, when I'm so busy looking for Him to come in a, an earthquake, or I'm so busy to look for God in the whirlwind, or I'm so busy to look for God in this fire, I'm reminded that God's been whispering simplicity into my life the whole time. I've just been too busy to see it. I've been too frustrated. I've been too tired to miss or see that God has been whispering simplicity. That He's been showing me the love of our Lord Jesus Christ in the most simplest ways. But I miss it all the time. Because that's what we do. Paul even, even brought this up in 2 Corinthians 11. He had this fear that this would happen. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's talking about false prophets and he's talking about false teachers. And false teachers and false prophets don't just have to be teaching or guidance that we allow to direct our life. False teachers can be habits that we take up. False teachers can be comforts that we bring into our life because they make us feel better about who we are. And instead of Jesus Christ 
and the truth of the gospel of Christ being our comfort, it becomes something else. But this is what Paul said. He said, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In the New Living Translation, it says, your simple faith. And I think we forget that sometimes, you guys. Our walk with Christ is supposed to be not just simple, but gentle. That He's supposed to be carrying all of these burdens that we have. No matter how big they are, no matter how small they are. But for whatever reason, we have this habit of picking them up ourselves. Jerry became really involved in the church. We started getting him involved in youth ministry because he was this passionate guy. The students in the youth ministry, they called him Old Man Smithers. And they loved it when he was there. Well, every year we would do a, uh, a mission trip down to Juarez. And Jerry decides, hey, hey I think I want to go on this. I said, you know what, Jerry, I think that would be great. We'd love to have you. And the reason why we did these Juarez trips is we always thought, oh, we're going to go down there and serve people in Juarez. But what we noticed was we took kids from here, we took them to an impoverished place, and their eyes were opened. Like, wow. There's, there's much tougher places in the world than where I live. We, would, we, we built a church on a dump. It was this landfill, and people lived there. Their houses were made out of pallets. And our kids would see that stuff, and they would go, Wow, mom and dad were right. Wow. And they would go home with this, this certain impact that really affected them. Well, at the beginning of this trip, and it's a long trip because we would drive down there, Jerry goes, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. He goes, I want you to pray for me. I'm like, well, okay, what's, what's up? And he goes, I've never prayed out loud. I went, oh. He goes, I don't want to say the wrong words. I don't want to mess it up. He goes, and the biggest thing is, I'm afraid God won't hear me. And so I was like, okay, Jerry. So I, I, I prayed for Jerry. Just God help Jerry to step out in faith and, and pray out loud. Well, we get to Juarez, and we spend an entire week in the heat of Juarez doing stuff. I was over here. I was building the pastor's son's little house, and Jerry had a team of guys, and they went over, and they put in a septic tank for this widow. And when I say septic tank, it wasn't like we have here in Gunnison. There, there was nothing engineered about it. They dug a hole. That was it. And at the end of the week, after they had dug a hole with shovels, they framed some plywood over the top of the hole, put some posts under it to hold the plywood up, mixed some concrete, and put a cap over the plywood. Now, when I say they mixed up the plywood, they took sand, they took rock, they took Portland, they took water, they mixed it up, and they... Hopefully they got the, the mix right, and they threw it over the top. We get done with, with our little house over here, and we go over to see Jerry's crew, and like, hey, how'd it go? And they're like, oh, we got it done. Look at this. And then here, sure enough, here's a big pile of concrete on top of a hole. Well, we're standing there talking, and all of a sudden we hear this. And we look over, and sure enough, you guys know concrete's heavy. It starts to break. And it starts to leak down the one corner. And everyone's like, oh no. But there's nothing we can do because you can't get under the concrete. So we just stand there and basically watch this entire framework of plywood and concrete break and fall into the septic tank. 
And it was one of the most depressing things in the world for Jerry, for his whole team. They'd put their whole week into it, and they were bummed out. If you know Jerry a little bit, he started crying. He was just like, ah, oh, because he wanted it to be something really impactful for this, for this widow. Well, everyone kind of, you know, we hug and, hey, we're going to fix it. Tomorrow we're going to dig this out and we're going to start over. That's what we do. And I said, let's just, let's take a minute and pray. So we get in a circle and somebody opened in prayer. And then all of a sudden, Jerry started praying. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everything I learned this week. Thank you for my friends that I got to work next to all week long. Thank you for these people. And I pray that you'd bless them. Now, no one else in the, our little circle of prayer knew how big of a deal this was, that Jerry was praying out loud. But I did. I was standing there in, inside just wanting to explode like, man, isn't God awesome? Isn't that just like God to take a tragedy, no matter how big or small it is, and use it into bringing his people closer to him? Jerry came home from Juarez with us. And he got really plugged into youth ministry. Jerry had gone through all these discipleship classes and he ended up coming on staff in 2005 as an evangelistic outreach guy. He would go out and give lunches to people. Hey, you should come see the church. He would go out and wash people's cars. Hey, you should come see the church. That's what he did because he loved to do it and he was so gifted at it. A couple years later, the same time we moved to Gunnison, Jerry moved to Thailand as a full-time missionary. I got a picture of him up here. Hopefully we can look at him. He's the one that doesn't have the machine gun. He's the other guy. <laughs> but that's Jerry. Jerry, to this day, is doing full-time ministry. It, were the, it was the simplest things in Jerry's life that made the biggest impacts in Jerry's life. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said, not even a sparrow worth half a penny can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. And maybe you felt like Elijah. Frustrated and tired. Or like Jerry, so caught up in, in your idea of who God was that you were actually missing him work in little tiny ways in your life. But what I love about Elijah and what I love about Jerry is that they heard that simple whisper and they both stepped out in faith towards it. And that's where the miracle was. That's where God did something spectacular in their lives. I don't, I don't know what the complications in everyone's lives are. I know what mine are. But what I'm excited about is that God is whispering simplicity into those complications right now. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I love that. And I think what's really cool is not only today when we leave here do we get to step out in faith in some little tiny way, even when we stand up from our pew after church, we get to step out in faith in some tiny little way. When we're at work tomorrow, when we're talking with our spouse later on, when we're in the midst of doing our bills, we get to step out in faith in some little way where we get to be encountered by the love of God through that simple whisper. And that simple whisper turns into the mightiest thing. 
Three weeks ago, I wrote this to Jerry because I, I felt like I was supposed to share this story. So I wrote Jerry a little message. He said, I said, my friend, so good to see you are doing well. I wanted you to know that I'm speaking at church and I feel like I'm to tell part of your story. I hope you are okay with that and thank you for having a global impact. Love you, brother. He wrote this back to me. I got it last week. He said, you can share our story. And I went, oh yeah. I was there too. I got to be a part of that. I guess I got to step out in faith a little bit too. And something happened. Every one of us gets to be a part of that story. Every day. Every moment. He went on. I share it all the time, trying to let people know that God still does miracles all the time. He did that one and the one on my triple bypass and even answers prayers before I can finish them. What a great father we have. To live with him in my heart has brought me so much joy into my life. Your prayer put me onto the right path and his love continues to build my faith. The Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is a characteristic I try to live by. Life has been so good to me and I'm on my way back to Thailand. How cool. Life changed, simple situations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that you have whispered simplicity into our lives. Maybe we've seen it and maybe we haven't. But I pray that today, Lord, our our eyes would be open and our hearts would be receptive and our ears would hear that simple whisper that you're saying to each one of us. I ask God that in all of our complications, we would see your love, we would see your grace, we would see your sovereignty. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are carrying these burdens for us. In your name we pray. Amen.